All right. That's so we are live at Leakers. I just want to confirm that we're live over in the Facebook group. Just make sure it's all showing up good. Nine times out of ten. We have, nine times out of ten, we have technical issues. So <laughs> you would think uh, tech guys would be able to. That's it. today. Let's hope today is not that day. Yeah. Let's see. Yes. Confirm we're up and running. How's it guys? How's it going today, guys? It's awesome. It's uh, can't complain. The weather is kind of good, so uh, we got the fundamentals in place for a good day. So can't complain there. And you guys, uh, are, you guys are in Amsterdam, correct? Yeah, we're in uh, in the Netherlands, uh, in Europe. So it's uh, six p.m. here. So are you like in the what do they call it? Like, when I think of Amsterdam, I think of red light district. Are you guys in that area or? We live there. No, it's just, no, it's uh, where the tourists uh, mostly go. Um, and it, it's uh, every time when I get visitors from abroad, we have to do the red light district tour. So it's, I'm sure. I, I know it way too well, but not for the reasons as many people expect. Yeah. But yeah it's, uh, have you ever been there, uh, Justin? Mm -mm. No, I've been to Mexico. The only time I've been out of the country is Mexico. So oh, one, yeah. my honeymoon. Otherwise, I stay, uh, I stay put. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. I mean, I just just for the reference, uh, Justin, is that you know when we're talking about weather is good, it means that it's not raining. Oh, okay. And and so so you know if you're if you're familiar in the Netherlands, we're not we're not a tropical climate at all. Like Mexico is totally opposite. Like it's yeah. we do have a beach, which is great, but only if it's you know if it's warm enough. <laughs> and those like we, we we really look forward to the day that it's summer and then that day is over and then there's autumn so <laughs> you got, when you uh, guys, one of the inside shows because you, you but you guys still have like you get snow in winter right over there or not really every now and then yeah every now and then we have uh we have snow but it's it's not like in the mountains uh we do have we do we do have a lot of ice skating going on once the lakes are frozen or the canals are frozen or anything basically is frozen we put on our ice skates and we go and do some ice skating that's so that the, you just have to youtube amsterdam ice skating channels and you will see people like going crazy it's, as soon as it's possible we do a lot of ice skating yeah. on that. and don't uh, don't uh, youtube red light district you're going to see some other images uh, but that's uh, for another time <laughs> uh, all right let's jump in so you guys been in the game a long time obviously i pretty sure probably as long as I have, maybe even longer, Vincent. Um, tell us a little yeah. bit about, about yourself and then we'll get get over to Raul. Um, but tell yeah. us about yourself, what you got going on, how long you've been doing it. Um, and yeah, we'll kind of dive in and go from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so uh, I talked for both of us because we pretty much, I started 10 years ago. I think Raul started like 12 years ago. So like from that time forward, we know each other from our previous AG where we both worked. Uh, we worked then, back then with big European brands like the, the Bonprix and the Yves Rochers. So back then it was mainly a, a Google Ads agency. What uh, what they had there was where we met. And um, yeah, well, we transitioned like five, six years ago. We started for ourselves. And um, up until now, we're specialized in, in helping uh, seven, eight figure brands uh, scale with, with, with Google Ads. We have done Facebook from, from uh, since 2012. 
uh, up until 2015 and then again from 2017 uh, to 2019 but we stopped but we wanted to focus on less is more so now just doing the google ads platform uh, so it means google ads and and youtube yep uh, all right so yeah you've been you're well, i would say you're an og then so Raul's basically i think i'm on like i think i'm 13 years so you're 12 years and we're right it's been a long time time flies doesn't it mastodons yeah you're a mastodons for sure <laughs> yeah so if, if you guys aren't in, aren't in the group obviously these two know what they're doing uh Raul, i always get the sense that you're more specialized on the analytics side and not so much on the adwords side but yeah what is your role? No. In yeah. What is my role? I, I, I do, I, I do like to crunch data and like to find the opportunities within the, the given limitations of that. Um, um, I, you know, I tend to look at data in a holistic way yep. and, you know, that's applicable to Google ads too. I mean, Google ads is, is what I grew up with basically in 2008. I mean, if we're just, you know, comparing sizes, then, you know, since 2008, I've been, been working in that same agency that Vincent, I hired Vincent back then. That's like a nice small detail there. Um, so, <laughs> so the, uh, uh, the uh, from that moment on, I mean, uh, back then we were happy that clients were actually not asking for top positions in Google because that was the that was the benefit. Like, do you want to appear from number one spot in Google? Then hire us, and then you got like the agency that we worked for. That's that actually was kind of bound, you know, like breaking with oh. Yeah, it's nice to be on number one, but does it bring you more sales? No. Like, how do you know? And then obviously conversion tracking became the standard only like a year or two later. And that was like, oh yeah, that's so much better actually. Yeah, it makes sense. But those brands didn't care. And there are still brands that don't care. They just pull, you know, just throw money at the wall for exposure, huh? a so-called uh, metric that we can't really understand as data nerds in that sense so i um yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm the the guy who likes to just jump into the to the specifics uh, also a curse because it's also distracting uh, sometimes so you have to be careful to you know stop doing what you're doing if you're really going into the rabbit holes but uh, yeah i guess you're familiar with that as well justin oh, yeah. i remember our conversations where oh yeah do you know this like yeah it's actually very nice to know but is it really necessary i'm not sure <laughs> And you guys just dropped. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks for working with, with me on that conversions API video and getting that done. So, um, yeah, man, check that out. Um, good video. I had done it a different way, and then I uh, ended up using your way just because it's passing a little bit more data. Um, so, good stuff. Yeah, it was it was for us also like uh, tweaking back and forth because we we got some. You, you get some notifications from Google afterwards. We had to double check, like it, it, it said, like check and enhance conversions. We double checked it with Google and then they say, yeah, it's normal because um, what is actually happening is if you do not have a 100% match rate, you get the message that something's off. But it actually isn't off because you still have a 99.9% .9 match rate. But just for everybody to be aware, that is supposed to happen. But it was fun, uh, fun little project. I don't know that I've seen that. Uh, um, I don't know that I've seen that message i guess in any of our accounts it, it should disappear after the first seven days uh but we see various things with, with some clients it disappeared after a few days other seven days so it, it, it just depends but as long as you follow those instructions should all be good yep i'm trying to figure that out now for google tag manager so i'm uh mm -hmm. trying to figure out and conquer that beast next for just client yeah. gtm so that'll be interesting if you have any insight Definitely. on that one not yet, but uh, if we have anything, uh, we'll definitely uh, 
What's so when you go in there and you're setting that up, there's an option in there that says um uh I think it says in use server side a like server side API or use enhanced API, but you actually don't have you seen that in there in the option when you hit edit code? Yeah, I mean um yes. Yes, it is, but I think it's really platform dependent. I mean, API, uh, what, what, what I think, and that's something I will probably refer to more often is that, you know, Shopify and Google are really best buddies at the moment. They're really trying to collaborate. Uh, my, my, my vision is that it's based on the fact that they, together, they can beat Amazon, you know, like they can really challenge them. Um, and they are probably going to get to that point where they are going to implement API based uh, uh, tracking. So you actually have an even more accurate uh, um, uh, representation of the, of the data, of the conversions, and maybe your audiences, right? That's also what is, uh, what is being talked about. But yeah, um, I think it's, that's, you know, it's, it's also just more interesting for people or for, for businesses that have their own data scientists on board that can create API connections with their own backend. I mean, there is plenty of corporates that do actually have that kind of data, but for the majority of, 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 of let's call them e-commerce entrepreneurs, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference or a significant difference. Uh, so I would not recommend putting too much effort into cracking that code for yourself. That's, I'm assuming, that's the idea. I'm assuming that sales channel will probably integrate that natively eventually through Google, but that yeah. we don't use that app, but a lot of people, we find a lot of people using it. So unfortunately, um, yeah. It's so good set to start it for early, function. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No worries. Let's talk the uh, let's talk measurement. So, iOS fourteen landscape across digital web obviously is especially with Facebook. You guys read all the posts, attribution, not attributing. Um, majority of clients, I would say that we've seen on Facebook have had to scale back their Facebook budgets. We really yeah. haven't seen. I don't think a tremendous impact on the Google side. Um, obviously. I'm a big component that when we run Facebook and we're running, especially Facebook, when we run that in conjunction with Google, we can definitely tell that there's a significant uplift just across the board. Um, they work very well hand in hand together. What are you guys seeing on the, the measurement piece with that, with the rollout of everything kind of the last few months? Um, how does that look for you guys? Um, well, my perspective is that from Google's, own the, the campaigns i didn't saw necessarily a big drop like like we saw with other people with facebook like with facebook you saw them gradually and then suddenly it was like cliff diving uh with google we haven't seen that um, but it's also the reason why we now have these enhanced conversion pixel next to our regular ones so we want to measure if the what the actual impact is of uh running that google's conversion api next to it to see it but from the clients that we have, we don't see a direct in Google, but like you said, the flywheel in conjunction with Facebook ads, if they scale down on Facebook ads, you do see some impact definitely on the Google ads front. So you, you want to, when that happens, um, you want to re rethink your strategy there to see how you do can keep coming up with those non-brand sales without uh, assisting the levels between Facebook and, and Google. Mm -hmm. Yep. I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah if I can add to that, the um uh the part where you know like especially when we see clients actually decrease drastically we do see a definitely a decrease in in brand interest over time like that's that's almost inevitable but the i also think uh, we talked about that in, in athletes before like i do think people 
like it's 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 a terrible timing, right? The iOS 14 in that sense, because we compare year over year with a, with with the Corona year, right? COVID. Oh yes. Um, so there's always that part where people are like, oh no, like it's even like it's it's so much worse than last year. It must be iOS 14, but it's that's not only the reason why things go right. bad. Right. There is also simply a different outlying. Uh, uh, seasonality that has caused a huge increase in, in e-commerce uh, uh, market last year. That it's maybe not that fair to pull that like pull that comparison right away. And the panic mode, I would definitely recommend people like, okay, wait, are my front end metrics still okay? Like, are my CTRs in place? Is the relevancy of my traffic is that on the front end? Does it make sense? Um, then you know, then yeah, sure, maybe your high ticket product is now more difficult to sell because people are going outdoors and they're done buying all the home deco because they're not no longer inside you know that that is like an example uh that we talked about and, and and i guess that's something that people tend to forget or maybe just not think about yep no i definitely agree um definitely what about you justin uh, uh maybe that yeah no, <laughs> do you I see that yeah, we're, we basically see the same thing. And part of that too is, and part leading in my next question, uh, one of the big brands that we're working with, um, huge budgets, they, we recently have been working on, I'm just kind of curious, we've been working with Google and uh, doing some brand inc incrementality studies on just like kind of the power of brand search. Because I mean, I think we all know here that brand search is easy money. It's an easy way to, so if you can run with big budget, where clients, you know, are paying high dollars CPPs, uh, you know, like specifically the body wash industry, like when you're competing with Dove, I mean, you're not getting 20, $30 CPPs. It's just not feasible. You know, the cost per clicks are 10, $15. You need 20, 25 yeah. clicks to convert one, your CPP, your cost per purchases are in the two to $300 range. Um, obviously you can start to manipulate those numbers when you start to incorporate brand search and you can start showing an overall blended row as of, um, you know, lower, oh, we're at our $55 cost per purchase overall. Well, yeah, 60% of that is through your brand search. Um, so it'd be interesting to see like when you get to the level that you guys are working at and that what we worked at in the past, what have you guys done for brand incrementality to kind of prove the theory of brand search is definitely not just worthless? Um, mm -hmm. I'll kind of let you answer that and then I'll kind of get into a, kind of some, some of the stuff that we did last time, which was pretty interesting, but I would love to hear anything that you guys have around that, that piece. Yeah. I give this one to rule. You can do this one. <laughs> yeah. Here, here, here's the data again. Yeah. So no, I think, I think there's a couple of things that you, we need to realize and that's, you know, that's the part of, obviously it's easy money. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, um, what I do think, uh, what, one of the things that we do to check if, if there's a brand search happening caused by whatever happening like you can actually separate the, the audiences on a brand campaign so you can say hey uh for example if you're running a youtube campaign uh for you can actually set up audiences for those that have viewed the video and if you set up that audience and you connect it to the brand campaign you can actually see how many people clicked on the brand ad after they've watched the video like that is one thing that could say hey actually somebody's you know your name was still in their head it's not 100 science waterproof that's i think that's also something we have to let go of uh 
mm-hmm. um, simply because it's you know it's survey based. If it's brand uplift studies like Google, is, you know they, they provide that for bigger brands. Uh, we haven't been engaging with those. Like uh, we are slightly below that. Um, so what we're doing is yeah, um, incrementality tests based on location where you have like I'm gonna push hard on a specific location that is similar, like metropolitan area, and we're just gonna set the benchmark. And then you're doing the same thing for the other, but then you're pushing hard and you look at if there's a significant increase in brand interest. And so impressions on the exact search term of that brand, for example, this is still a hell of a lot lot of work. I mean, I'm also like, when I'm thinking about it, it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, But it's, this is, if you are um, going to spend a lot of money on display, YouTube, um, or maybe even Facebook. I mean, you can even connect that eventually to that. Um, yeah, you do need to set it up in that. I, I, I think that's the one thing to set it up in, in uh, if you're not able to do brand survey studies. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely open uh, for your idea, Justin. That's, uh, yeah. that's for sure. trying to pull up this, I'm pulling up this email because we had a, we had a, so do you guys, are you guys utilizing search console when you connect to your AdWords accounts? Do you guys set that up? In yeah, we set it up. Yeah. So we were using that for, I know like the one you're talking about where you have to put a hundred K into certain locations and they do all that kind of stuff. Cause some of the, some of the clients that we were doing things with too, um, were also, um, they had like, you know, they're in target and all that stuff. So they, they use store visits. So we had set up store visit campaigns and all that kind of stuff, but we did an interesting thing with, and I'm trying, I went back and going through my emails to find it um because i i had never actually the this guy was really really knowledgeable um like this is basically what he focuses on and this was new to me and i actually learned it um what we did basically was we took here it is let me read this here we took top five keywords that were shown for organic only and we measured clicks and impressions um, and we looked at click loss, like the percentage of click loss on those top five terms. And then what we did is we took those same terms and we looked at top five keywords when an ad in an organic listing was present. And you can pull that in that search terms report um, if you know what I'm talking about. And then so what we did is we looked at the organic loss versus the ad loss. And what we did is when so for like, for example, this first keyword they had it's a longer tailed search term brand term, but for organic, they had about 7,200 searches with about 281 clicks. So they were at like a 4% CTR. And then for the, when an ad was present, they were at um, 7,200 impressions with 1,600 clicks with the 22% CTR. Um, and then we took like their average order value and their average purchase rate and like combine that based on the impression and clicks. And then essentially what, the, the numbers that he did was he indicates these five terms add clicks range between 60 to then he and they ran like a formula and I can try and find it and send it to you guys but then they were actually able to come back essentially what they did was they came back with an incremental max CPC on for brand if you're paying over x CPC okay anything else is not not incremental um yeah I'm so, curious so if, if you have something just send it through we'll want to yeah i'll i'll try and see if i can get the calculations from the lady that we worked with yeah so 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 just sorry to to just check in like you're talking about the organic versus paid brand like if you if it's worth running a branded campaign right 
Yeah, like at what point? I mean, you could put, yeah. obviously, you you know, some brands want 100. So, so for example, there's one brand that, that I have access to their stuff and I've, you know, dealt with and they work with part of through another agency that we kind of partner with and stuff. And they spend like over a million dollars a month on brand search. I mean, huge, huge. And it's just like, when you're spending that, I mean, they spend more on branded search than they do non-brand search. And it's ridiculous. It is. And they're so like worried. And I'm just, I just sit there and I think, and obviously you can't tell these people because they're, they're fortune 100, but it's just like, yeah, such a waste of money. Uh, you, you know how I, much I recall. I recall there was some sort of. Uh, well, can you mute? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. There was the. Uh, I think eBay was one of the first ones a few years ago that did a test and said we're no longer gonna advertise on our own domain uh, on brand for eBay because it was really not doing much for them. But I can. It really depends. I think like if you if you're spending more on brand than on non-brand, I don't know. You really want to find out if it is actually because this is that that hurts. That hurts. That hurts a yeah. lot. Uh, I mean, it's there. I just started doing some data pools and stuff for them and like having to do some pacing and all that. And like, just even their spreadsheet that they use for daily pacing. And like, it's like 60 tabs long with 45 pivot tables. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's just, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. Like if I, if I can add something to that, actually, I've got a, I got a nice story, like insider story on, on a, a huge brand. Like it's, it's actually international and I'm not allowed to talk about it in that sense. So it's really exclusive. Um, it's more about the, don't, um, don't, don't. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I, I guess you hear Vincent just pulled me back on this one. Um, no, it's, it's actually what you're saying. Like I, I totally get I totally get the idea of like it's it's a waste of money or it's a waste of like where would you and and so you do have to do your research on like are we losing let's say just dove soap or whatever you know let's let's call a big brand or is it actually okay just to not run it and just hope that your organic is picking those things up and i guess i guess dove is okay because there's a lot of sellers resellers that are gonna you know are gonna pull in there and just you know just selling stuff through google ads in that sense but there's also a situation where it's highly competitive uh, and then if you're actually losing your brand position because google is putting paid search in favor of your you know organic results especially on ecom uh if if they can like i'm just uh, i'm not sure do you guys have the live rule in in the states yeah right Deliveroo. Mm. Deliveroo or something like Uber Eats kind of thing, like Uber Eats or Grubhub. I don't have any of that stuff. I mean, we, I think we have DoorDash. Uh, uh, something like that. Well, there's a huge, like there's a huge venture capitalist based or backed like uh, economy, right? Where it doesn't really matter <laughs> that it's not profitable or that it's costing so much. You just don't want to lose market share. And that's where they where the KPIs come from. Like we don't want to lose traffic on our brand because it's a it's a sign that we're losing market share. And that's you know, if you want to protect your brand at all costs, it's probably because the alternative is worse. And I guess because Google is so liberal in that sense to show anyone who's who's just booking your brand as a keyword. Right. You know, yeah, sure. Quality scores. Yeah, sure. But they actually take your customers away if they're really the same kind of deal. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the devil's advocate, you know, in, in me that says, well, yeah, still, is it worth it losing it? So I guess those studies that you're that you're mentioning are definitely helpful. And eBay, you know, eBay is just 
it's it's the equivalent yeah. of of everything you buy on the internet right so it's like coca-cola basically <laughs> yeah my, my always solution is and that kind of leads into my next question but one thing on this before we get into the next one is part of that whole thing was you know their mentality for another one that spends quite a bit is you know they're in like target and they're in walmart and they're in all those stores well they actually run ads themselves and they run google shopping and sell the same product so their thought is why would i want to pay for it when the retailers are spending the money and they're going to sell our product anyway um my question was always you know and i always push customer data um you know, especially from an algorithm AI training perspective, when you start losing all of that data that you're flowing through these accounts, you start learning, losing machine learning, which ties over to your non-brand campaigns, which can become a whole thing. But that was always part of my argument. But then the next thing I always argued with, you know, I try to tell them, but a lot of them don't listen. The smaller brands do that are more budget constrained is, and I'm sure you guys will tell me the same thing. In the 12 years you've been doing this, how many competitor campaigns have you seen run <laughs> profitable? Um, 10% maybe less. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen any except one this last week. I finally seen <laughs> first your first one, one after 30 yeah. years. It, you rarely, I mean, you rarely, rarely see it. I mean, just yeah. the search intent of those people searching for those brands are so high. I mean, just think of it yourself. When you search for the name of a brand of a product, your intent's so high. I don't think any of us can probably say, oh yeah, I remember I clicked on this ad and bought a different product. I mean, you know what you want, you're searching for it. Um, it, it I think it's more of like a status versus ego thing that for uh, today we, we searched, uh, we checked out some, some uh, PPC tools just to see like, how can we make things smarter? And we saw that the one that we're looking for only had an organic listing, but all the competitors, like three or four were on top of it. And like, I'm still not clicking on those, but they have messages like, uh, like the angle copies, like, you know, want real uh, powerful tools like this, then use us. So yeah. it, I'm, I don't think it's actually working because like, if you look at the statistics from 12 years, barely any were profitable, but still they do it. So we know quality score is pretty poor in those terms always. Oh, for sure. So, you know, you pay, you pay pole position prices for, for something that might not even result in anything. So yeah, it's an interesting, but really had something to add, I believe, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just think uh, again, like devil's advocate part again, <laughs> I like to do that uh, is, is uh, especially with those uh, software solutions. I mean, it's, it's the alternative is around the corner and um, it depends a little bit on, on it. it, it, it yeah. The answer is it depends. And I think when you're talking about a travel to, uh, you know, a travel agency or whatever, uh, you like booking.com or whatever price line, do you actually do feel like you want to maybe check for different destinations in that part? Yeah. And um, um, with e-com, it depends on the kind of products that you're selling that if you're, you know, if you're showing up like, and then this, yeah, this competitor does a very well job by, uh, by, by, by adding a great benefit in the ad copy that I haven't thought of. I'm actually interested. I'm actually clicking on those ads. Vincent says he's not clicking. I'm actually that kind of person who's triggered by it. Like, oh, well, okay, that's a daring, that's a daring uh, story. Let me, let me check. And then maybe I find out it's not what I'm looking for, but kind of, it really depends a little bit. And I do want to add to that. And that's maybe also a nice topic maybe for you, Justin, is um, that if you're adding this competitor campaign, um, are we 
really focusing on smart bidding, yes or no? Because if I'm adding the competitors in broad and I'm just saying, hey, please put this in max conversions or smart target ROAS, target CPA, and I'm giving it a little bit of space, I found the results a lot better than me pushing that brand because I want to be strategically placed in a high position amongst the others. Because I think you're totally right. Like I think 95% of those people who are searching for the brand don't really want, but those 5% could still be worth running a smart campaign on the side, not a highest budgets, not the highest targets, but just, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, it doesn't. I should probably clarify. It doesn't work for us on the e-com side, but when we've done like what you were saying, like local lead gen or for like plumbing or stuff like that, that's more like they're shopping for price and not necessarily it's a service based. Then we've seen it work a little more, but like straight e-com, you know, nine times out of 99 out of a hundred, it's very hard to get to work unless unless they have dedicated budget they gotcha. want to push to that to have awareness but yeah and your your example of you know booking stuff like that is a very good example um of that so you mentioned one really good thing quality scores um so i mean you guys are familiar with skags you guys are familiar with yep. people building tight ad groups with tight buckets let's talk your guys's Let's talk the way that you guys set up your campaign structure um, from a non-branded perspective. Are you guys doing, let's talk two things, campaign level breakout, ad group level breakout down. And I'm kind of more curious about, you know, like your keywords, how you're structuring those. Um, for example, we don't use, rarely use broad keywords unless it's big, big budgets. We always usually start with phrase and exact. So kind of talk to us a little bit about how your strategy looks and how you guys break that out. Yeah. So mostly we, we start off um, our campaigns. Like nowadays things change, right? Because uh, when smart bidding is now at a point where you can't ignore it anymore, a lot of people are still, you, you, you can't go around anymore. You know, it's, it's working. So you have to think about, okay, I have to set my strategy on, on campaign level. Yes, you can do some things on ad group level, but also your budget allocation is on on campaign level. So what we try to do most is see, okay, where's where's the, the search volume most? So mostly we split them out by step of the funnel, top of funnel keywords, middle of funnel keywords, bottom of funnel keywords. Uh, our legacy approach was that we start off with BMM, uh, modified broad match. However, as we know, that got killed off because Google basically wants more control uh, or give us less control. So now it's more a uh, phrase, but we do have some accounts where we're testing uh, with an all out uh, or not all out, but more of like a broad approach, broad keywords. Um, we have seen we have seen cases of like where, because for smart bidding, two things are important. You need like high quality data and you need volume. If those things are like good, then smart bidding has like free role to really find out real quick what to do. Uh, so we have seen cases where an all out approach on broad was actually doing better than the refiner structures. But it all comes down like, if you're sending the right information to the machine, you know what you're doing and you're aligning this to the business, business objective, um, this is where the value lies. So we are not, right now we're, we're mostly spl splitting up our ad groups per like phrase and different matches, but the exact match, I'm only uh, throwing that in after I see that the exact matches are actually coming through. So we we'll mostly start off the ad groups with, with phrase for, for search approaches. 
So you busted out. Let's just use a body. Let's use a body wash brand, for example, and we'll say keywords around best body wash. Keywords around men's body wash. Would you bust that out and keep you know seven to eight, ten, twelve phrase match keywords in one ad group around best phrases, and then have your ads all talk about it being best, um, and then have men's body wash with you know seven to eight keywords based on an ad group like that? Is that kind of how you're structuring it? So, so that to me is more of like in line with the old school Skag approach, which is really, really nitty gritty. Uh, we've seen that Google now knows pretty much like the semantics, you know, if, you, if you're using uh, shoes, it can also mean sneakers and um, all these kind. like if you have an, uh, a Fitbit, Fitbit watch, like smartwatch, it, all the kind of synonyms, it understands what you mean. So it's not necessarily for us to split all these synonym keywords up into other other uh, ad groups so we're because back in 2015 2016 we're still using the skag approach but since then it, it has evolved into a more of like um, a little bit more liberal approach if you want um and on top of that what we're doing as well is, is just look at what what is google shopping doing and in search terms regard and reverse engineer those back to search campaigns so that helps too plus um, dynamic search ads is really helpful in, in regards to crawling and looking for gaps in your keyword structure that you haven't got yet. Yep. You guys with your DSAs, are you making your own business feed or are you just indexing it from what's indexed in Google? Uh, both. Um, we, we literally have both, but preferably we're using the page feed if, yep. uh, because you get more accurate data. And then you probably like the way that I've always done is I tag, you know, like we have men's body wash, women's body wash. I'll actually tag them. So on the DSA level, I can break it out by label or whatever. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 That's the way kind of like the, the custom label approach for DSA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do, do, do. Makes sense. Um, you got some nice Google shopping questions there. Yeah. I was actually, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, feed. So I think I think just maybe one more thing, Justin. Yeah. I think that's just just because I think it's interesting. Um, by the way, I love you too, Connor Martin. Oh man, there's there's fan fan mail in the in the comment section. I'm sorry for that. Um, uh, the uh, the part is uh, where we're talking about structures. It's actually also interesting to to you know get a grip on. I think you, you like you said you like broad. It's it used to be like the antagonist, right? You, you're not supposed to use broad. Broad is Google, like it's synonym for shit traffic, part of my language. Um, it's really bad. Uh, it's, it's, it's a money waster, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I do think they're doing better and better. It's again, that was that's a good part, but I do think they're getting better and better. And the part of it is that what, what Google claims to do now is that they're looking at not only like broad is, is taking more signals into account when you're using smart bidding. So um, where you do exact and phrase, and I'm not sure if I can pull the exact uh, scheme, uh, the graph together, but it's basically exact looks at, uh, and phrase looks at the ad copy, it looks at the, uh, the, the ad copy itself, it looks at the, um, um, the targeting obviously itself and similar, similar searches, but broad is actually also looking at the other keywords in the ad group. So if you're filling your ad group with relevant, like around that topic, it looks at that part as well. And it looks at the landing page, which is also very interesting. And it means, and, and to me, it, it makes total sense that content and unique, your own relevant content is actually playing a huge role in, in that process of, of getting the right people on your site. Because obviously Google does 
is you know it's become big because of their organic um the way they understand what is on your side and what you're trying to sell what you're trying to tell um you kind of have to represent have to, to represent that in your keyword strategy and your ad copy mm-hmm. um and i guess you know that's that's where i think at a certain point we do not get to really choose the exact keywords anymore like it's gonna gradually move away from us google ads managers and move towards the direction of well automation ai machine learning that kind of stuff we've an interesting topic yeah we mix broad and more like with a new account you know that we're starting or we're doing a full rebuild we always start tight and then we slowly loosen as it as it goes um but if you're running broad match and you're running 5k a day or 10k a day budget you better be in their negative search terming every single day you know mm-hmm. yeah. every single yeah. day um has to otherwise you just blow through money and i think a lot of people don't do it enough um but yeah so um on the shopping piece let's talk smart shop well there was a question in here um have you ever segmented campaigns by device on top of your other breakout conditions and then applied smart bidding um no we don't yeah i i do on the shopping side so all of our shopping especially for manual shopping we break it well because if you think about it for manual shopping um from an ad group perspective we bust it out to start by device type because your bid adjustment doesn't necessarily take into specific device and product ID as much. Like you don't get as much control. So we always bust out in our manual. We have a mobile tablet and then we have a desktop and then we do our breakouts on the product group levels of by item ID and all that stuff. So we have more. Um, I don't know that. Do you guys do that? I don't think I've seen one account I've ever audited do that. Um, no, we, we, we don't split them out by device also because um, we, you have to make decisions at some point because you can, you, you can split it up into certain ways. If you're using custom labels and you have a, a certain structure in your head that you want to convey, if you then also would split them up by device, you're going to end up with like hundreds of, of, of these campaigns, which you don't want. And especially in, in, in regards to smart bidding, you can have multiple campaigns, but you don't want to stretch them out too much because then you're going to run into the system isn't working really with you. So you have to make some concessions here and there as to when do you want to split them out that way. And um, by device, we we don't do, honestly. Interesting. Yeah, I do. I do think also when you're doing smart, like when you're doing smart bidding on top of that, uh, target row is at a certain point is basically just, you know, ignoring that anyways. Uh, obviously, target CPA does have uh, uh, that functionality where you can still plus some like, but in general, it, it, it moves budgets into the direction it, it's, it's, it's more successful. Uh, I think it's really like, it's really important that you do look at those differences. If there's like a significant difference in, in how, how Google is, is, um, uh, what's it called, uh, delivering the ads impressions, like if there's actually a huge difference in, in, in how it performs on, on, on desktop versus mobile, it might be making sense to work the other way. So to kind of like, okay, well, we do see this in our analysis and that desktop is significantly just very poor and it squeezes the budget because of that, then you might want to test that separately in a desktop campaign and say, hey, I'm going to deep dive into this matter and kind of try and find out why this is the case. And then you can actually work that other way around. I think that's kind of what, what, what fits the 80, 20 approach that we're 
trying to work with. Like we try to kind of do, let Google do the research for us before we go all out or go basically, you know, depends obviously on the brand, but where you have to put a lot of effort in it to get the structure that you like versus first build and first look. And then maybe, you know, you can, you can, you can segment, you can, you know, eventually make smaller groups, isolate things and, uh, and, and then work that way. Uh, there's something to say for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We usually see, obviously most, I would say nine times out of 10 desktops always converting better than mobile. Um, you know, you know why? <laughs> well, I want to <laughs> no, no, it's I, what I thought was really interesting. And this is a nine figure brand that we talked about. It's like they're, they're only optimizing on desktop. They're optimizing their CRO on desktop. Ask them, ask a VWO guy, how often he's actually looking at the, his own phone before he runs another A-B test. And I know, I know it's all responsive. It's all great. But look at the loading times Shopify has on mobile. Responsive sucks. It's so bad. It's mm -hmm. so bad. It's, it's all, every time you put a page, and then, then they get this great, great squeeze pages that are looking amazing. But Google just hates them because they load so slowly that it, they, they punish you for it. And then obviously you're getting different traffic and also people still just don't like it, that it's so slow or it's not. But it's, that it's hilarious because it's 80% of your traffic often, like mobile. It's like the majority, but it's not on par as wherever it could be. But I guess um, the old responsive designs, they're, they're, they're not optimal, basically. That's where the, uh, the nuance is. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that, that's obviously I was, I'm hearing myself again. Sorry, Shane. No, I, but, but I think a little bit of nuance, obviously, is that in general, people are on the go when they're on the mobile, you know, yeah. when we, we know that there's, there's a different mindset that you want, but that, that's actually the reason why you have to be so fast and why you have to have a separate mobile strategy, basically. Like if you have, just imagine you're on the go, you're in the train or you're, I don't know, like you, you just have your phone in your hand, you have that instant gratification. And I'm not sure if you've been trying to browse through all those different tabs on your mobile phone versus how many Chrome tabs you've been opening on your desktop. Like I have this like widescreen monitor and I've got like 50 tabs open. I'm sure you have more, Justin. Yeah. Um, and the pen, no, oh, <laughs> it's just, I'm just, I'm just assuming things. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you just like how easy it is to click through desktop versus how important it is to stick around. Like I'm just putting my phone away immediately versus mm -hmm. I have this huge thing in front of me telling me that this is a great product. So it has to be super focused. And yeah, I mean, it's underestimated. It's, it's, it's almost scary when I talk about my, talk to my clients that I don't know that's actually 80%, like you're saying, like it's more than 80% sometimes with that people come from mobile and they don't, they've never looked at their site or like seldomly looked at their site like that. Yeah. So it's uh, definitely like an opportunity for those that to, uh, um, especially for those that are not running on Shopify, because, you know, obviously you're kind of bound to designs uh, in that sense, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting that with all the new stuff that just rolled out with like the Dawn 2.0 and stuff, we're starting to test the new theme and, and see how yeah. that works. But I, I think Shopify knows that they have to step their game up. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're doing so, but I mean, yeah, 
I mean, their shopping checkout is great. I mean, that's that's for sure. I mean, shop pay and everything. That's 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 totally. I mean, I don't think that's the problem. I think it's really what happens before that. It's the framework, uh, it's the way that the app is built, and there's all the callouts, and you know, it's yeah. just. I'm not a developer, um, but it's just a very poor framework, especially for people that don't know what they're doing. Like you delete an app, but necessarily all the code doesn't delete for some of these apps. Then you still have all these callouts, and the and the you know, they need to make it seamless for people um you know especially for the brands that don't have developers but even some of the developers i've noticed you know they're not using git and they're not pushing things correctly to keep track of everything plus you got people editing stuff here that's all right i mean it's just it's great but... and you got shop owners uh, hiring one person and then hop to the next one because he didn't do immediately what he asked and then right. the one has to work has to work with the legacy code yeah there's plenty of reasons why those things screw up eventually yeah yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, what else out, it's so easy for even us to go in and do things. But like when you go to like a platform like WordPress, some developers like WordPress and they don't. And it's like, at what point is it worth a brand to get off shop? I mean, you got brands that do like, you know, look at Kylie Jenner's brand. She probably does over a hundred million a year. I, I heard Magento is a curse word in your world, man. Oh, that's tough. Magento is a nightmare. <laughs> Terrible. Powerful, but if you can find a developer that can do it, that's it. The problem is finding a developer that will do Magento is, and I, here's a story. Like my, my best friend, he's got a warehouse over here. He was on a custom full custom and it was just outdated and stuff. I think back in like 2016, he had a buddy that um, was into Magento, but wasn't Magento, but was smart. Um, moved him over to Magento and had nothing but issues. I mean, revenue just went <laughs> scramble. Like I helped them. Dude, I interviewed like six Magento people. They all wanted like $5,000 to do an audit, to try and find the issue. The audit would take them three weeks. Then you'd wait three weeks and they would, they're like, oh, I'm too busy. I have other clients paying me. And I was like six developers and they charged $250 an hour, which is like, astronomical like the chances of finding a reliable magento developer um if brands can find them hang on to them because they're i don't do you guys have magento experience uh, well we, we had one client which was magento yeah yeah we had one that was in hong kong yeah we, we uh, had one and uh but i do know a lot of people who are actually using magento in the e-commerce yeah. space and uh <laughs> it's 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 actually interesting to uh to hear that because what what i heard from the guy that uh, was almost like a i don't know what's it called a, pr a preacher like somebody who's uh, in favor of uh, of a certain uh, obviously that's biased but what he told me when i actually told your story like i think i've read your story something like that or something like that and then there's obviously horrible stories about that because it's but that's not really magento it's the developer part exactly and uh, i do think uh, a lot of uh, corporates actually choose for magento because they can invest in solid like in a total like a complete team or a professional gold partner for example and really you know craft something custom that they that they need compared to like doing something that is not scalable as in you know custom builds and have to deal with legacy code all the time which is the downside of having that yeah. and shopify i mean you know we know the shopify story from what was it again that that famous brand that moved to shopify be from from magento i'm not sure about that but it's a uh, um sure. it was something that but uh, i mean 
the problem is there's just the developers are so like, high, highly sought after and they're so tremendously expensive. Not only that, Magento hands down is better than Shopify. It's 10, but your development cost is like times 50. I mean, it's just brands need to be able to afford it. But if you can get somebody that's good at Magento, which they're hard to find, um, it's not luck, it's not like looking for a media buyer. I mean, it's like looking for, you know, Osama. Needle bin. in a haystack. Yeah, it's like Osama bin Laden in the freaking the, the mountains over there. I mean, they're hard to find, but if you can find them, like that that platform is so powerful, even from like an SEO perspective. Like we went from zero with this brand on like huge search terms. Um like 90, I mean, 90 days, it was astronomical, the power of how well that platform can be done if you can find somebody that can do it. Um, and there's brands out there that have it, but also like for us, and I'm sure for you, even from like a feed perspective, if you worked on that, like it becomes a little bit cumbersome because you can't just go in and install feed for Google shopping and have the feed up and running. And, you know, it's, it's everything just gets drawn out and it's yeah. Out, yeah so it it does affect workflow too but server costs go up i mean you're not paying two thousand a month for plus you're paying you know the i think the developer like if you go to the Mangeno enterprise license alone is like 40 or 50 grand plus you have your server costs which for the one brand we were doing was like five ten k a month um crazy yeah and then you're responsible for pii for personal i mean you have to follow all those laws to store your information and Oh, yeah that's a whole hour discussion on that right there yeah so let's <laughs> let's stick to google <laughs> yeah uh so shopping let's just i mean we have a few minutes here but let's talk about let's go over like the top three to five things when you guys are auditing accounts that are just major misses on like an optimization basis one thing that comes to mind for myself and it's you would think it's a given but location location breakdown and bid adjustments on campaigns add all 50 states one individually then rather just adding the u.s you got more granular control tell me a little bit about things that you see like that that it's just like wow i just you know i i never see this i'm the only guy that does this nobody does this what what are those what are those tactics <laughs> so to my spread like that one i love the one we're doing that too like spread out all the states um but more often than not, I find that it always starts with the fundamentals. It starts with the tracking, the tracking, the conversion pixel there, either still on last click. And we're talking here, uh, a business that's, that's putting like uh, five figures in, in Google Ads it's, it's per day. It's, it's insane. So the pixel first, then uh, the attribution model, then the click-through window. So if we're talking smart bidding and machine learning, this is where it all starts, right? And if you don't have that right, then that, that's the first step. Um, secondly... Uh, more often than not, uh, they either have everything on smart shopping, everything. They have like one campaign, one ad group, and then 500 products all run through smart shopping, which, you know, you get results, but how are you going to scale? You can't. So um, like we're, we're believer in smart, but not like everything. And you want to, it needs to tie into the business objective. Um, so that's the second one. Um, Question on the first one, and just a point. Yeah. Don't use, don't be lazy and use an import goal from Google Analytics. Also, yes. Don't I see that the, like transaction imports, um, even duplicate tracking sometimes. Oh. That you're like, you're spending so much money. You're running duplicate tracking. What, what's going on? Yeah. It's, you're right. it's, I mean, I can't, yeah. On that too is usually what we've seen. And I just audited two accounts last week and I have to go back to them. I have to say, sorry, guys, 
your expected ROAS of what you had is half of that because you had an analytics goal importing and then you had a purchase event. Oh. So sorry, yep. you're, you're 6X spending 20K. <laughs> it's actually 3X. You're, you're giving him this tough love. You know, they, 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 you do the audits, you pay for it, and then you give him this news. So, yeah, but it's the truth. Imagine how long they have been running with that setup, how much money it's costing them. They are expecting, you know, we have this amount of sale. It must be a discrepancy between Facebook and Google. No, you're running twice the amount of conversion and revenue. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah, and then the second one, or even another thing on tracking, which I've noticed uh, is a lot of, and we don't run this. I know a lot of people do, but most people are using that Google Shopping apping app and injecting all of the add to cart view product. I shut all of those off um, mm -hmm. only from the simple fact of because when you're getting into display campaigns and you're you're getting into YouTube campaigns, when you have to start using segment and breaking all of those out to look at all conversion value for view through conversion. Because keep in yeah. mind, uh, and I don't, you guys, probably, I'm sure you guys know this, but most people don't, is your conversion value is that drastically different than your all conversion value. It doesn't include your view through conversion. So mm -hmm. if you're wanting to attribute the difference in incrementality from a click through basis on a view through basis on those display in YouTube, you're going to have to click segment and then you get all of these breakdowns you know, seven yeah. or eight, and it just it makes the optimization process a lot longer. So I personally always shut those off. Do you guys utilize those to optimize towards upper funnel events or not? Um, honestly, no, we, we, we have nine out of the eight out of the 10 that we that do have a Shopify store. We see that the pixels are based on these apps. So we yeah. do see that <clears throat> we, um, we're using them, but I, I like to, to add them as micro converge just to see like, okay, how how is this campaign attributing to, to earlier steps in the funnel? Uh, but I'm not really switching them off or anything like that. Mm, okay. I just do it because it's just, it's cleaner and easier for me to optimize. Yeah. That's probably an old school thing. Um, number two, what was the number two thing you said? Smart shopping? Yeah. Uh, Everybody's running a smart shopping, yeah. like all the products in there and just go yep yep i i really agree with that one um do you guys have any way of measuring obviously and i haven't really tested this but in now the settings and smart shopping there's the target new customers and past existing customers or target new customers yeah. do you guys break that out and i actually honestly i don't even know the answer to this um if you're running the same let's say you're running one smart shopping campaign and the one is targeting new and the other one is targeting new one online. It, that should technically in theory be able to serve there. I guess there would be some crossover, but have you guys tested that and kind of seen, because obviously for people that don't know with smart shopping, it's a black box, right? Yeah. You can't come in and say, Oh, this is all new business driven. 60% conversion is all new driven from yeah. smart shopping. So how are you guys tackling that piece of that black box so yeah so i think we uh we recently discovered something and uh Rodel's gonna tell you what it was oh man that's such a nice that's entrance so i think jesus <laughs> all right so uh no and, and and it's not necessarily recent but um what people tend to forget when you're setting that up for customers new customers you're actually adding hypothetical revenue to your revenue column so when you're saying like i'm saying and and, and, and I'm, I'm just looking at like if you're blinking now justin if you're actually like oh my god is this okay 
no, no, it's uh, it's it's it happens that some people just fill in like okay, the CLV is one hundred and eighty, while my original initial sale is forty, for example. It just basically whenever a new sale is generated, it adds one hundred and forty to your revenue, making it bloated. So, um, yeah, yeah, you have to check that out, Justin. <laughs> you need some venture capitalists for this. You yeah. the value for that is so when you walk me through this. Because I haven't used just targeting the new. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. So when you check the box new, are you putting a static value in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? It's based on your own, based on your own, like you have basically, you, like they're giving you the option to say, hey, how much do you want to assign? How much revenue do you want to assign for new customers? Which is obviously for venture capitalist backed businesses, it's really good because then, you know, the higher your revenue is the more google will then push to it because the ROAS is higher for such a sale and that's the the, for some businesses i think though that have like their aov or smaller stores where year over year their aov has been consistent and they're not testing if you have a lot of data and you go into analytics and you pull a year and then you pull it by month by month and your aov is within a couple bucks i would say that's probably not a huge thing tell me if i'm wrong but just thinking out loud if um unless you're doing like huge aov testing why if you if you know your numbers and it's not inflated why would or if you know your numbers and you're confident on those numbers why would it be inflated well it's inflated because if you're reporting in google ads and you're and you as a manager look at oh this looks great actually like 90 percent of my budget goes to this campaign and it's not the actual money that you're getting like, yeah, of course, over maybe three or nine months time, you do collect that data because you did your CLV research. But if you're not having that liquidity in terms of cash flow, mm-hmm. um, it could actually hurt your business pretty hard because, you know, you're not having the cash to catch up with those numbers. And that's more the, that's the concern that, you know, businesses could get if they're just blindly putting in that number. It's like, okay. Just know that you have to keep an eye on your own metrics. Of course, it's it's fundamentals, but it's it's something that people didn't realize up till like, oh, it's actually, oh yeah. wait, what? It's two hundred. Oh, it's not two hundred. It's actually fifty. Just like you're saying with the with the duplicate tracking convert, like duplicate yeah. tracking. It's like it's not the real ROAS at this point. It looks like it's it is because it's taking the CLV into account. Right. I've never so that's the yeah. going in to click it once because I've never I've never ran it because yeah. I it's also pretty pretty new I guess like not that um it's, yeah, it's a couple of months recently, old, a year yeah. old maybe yeah. oh, let's see let's see shopping yeah interesting yeah I've never have you guys and you guys you guys don't use it either I take it uh, yeah, yeah we, we did we did it's, it's just that we didn't assign the real CLP we just assigned like five bucks on top of it or like not that like that doesn't have it like such an impact, but at least it, it gives like, it gives us the insights. Like, Hey, it's actually trying to target new sales. You know, that kind of reporting is actually interesting. Yeah. Um, I see what you're talking about. Why yeah, the value, yeah. additional value to assign. It obviously pre-fills, it pre-filled it based on, you know, probably the data in the ad account, but um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's exactly. So that's, that's the, let's say the risk slash danger. of That's that kind of weird though. Why, why, I wonder why they just wouldn't use your pixel and default the revenue that passes through the string. Like, yeah, I, I guess it's not that hun- like then that waterproof in that sense. Um, 
sorry yeah i'm uh, still uh, echoing oh. so the no it's, it's it's just not that waterproof in terms of cookies in terms of like it, it, they still have that issue and if you just put in like and yeah it, i guess it's also just not in uh what's it called in google's interest to to really look at that right interesting very interesting hmm. um so yeah that was number two number three uh what is that uh, tracking smart shopping um locations i often find that um, custom labels using custom labels in your feed if you have multiple products like this is uh the way to maximize your roi from shopping uh majority that we see just have the simple of like one campaign even if it's standard just one campaign one ad group and, and still run there all their products even on a target ROAS. um yeah you're just and, and they, the, the main question I get asked, like, how do I scale my shopping campaigns? And the answer is always before you launch them and it's in your tracking and then in your product feed. Once you've set this up correctly, you can create this refined structure where you can control the outcome of different segments of your product categories. And that's actually where the money lies. And once you have that, then you can scale. So you have to think really far ahead. Like what is my business objective? Do I want to steer to a ROAS, CPA, growth? And then you go into your feed. How do I, for which categories will I make custom labels? Yeah. Uh, and then you can make this beautiful structure, which helps you with your objective. But nine out of 10 are not using it. One, one thing that I just started doing, and I never had done it before because I never had to pull such detailed and long freaking reports for brands until you start spending for those big, big brands and you have to spend mm -hmm. a day pulling data and then do insights or whatever is let's use like a, let's use a body wash, big body wash company that's global or whatever. They're going to have their men's and women's line. Then they're going to have also by like foaming, this is an example, foaming body wash, uh, like sc scrubbing. Smell. Yeah. And then by scent. So what, what I, and I don't know why, but if you go into the reports, you can actually pull reports by custom label across all your shopping campaigns. So you can actually, I mean, obviously you can't do that from within. If you have several shopping campaigns, trying to combine product revenue or category revenues and all that stuff is you can just pull by your dimension, custom label equals, and then it'll pull across all your campaigns, uh, row as by the scent type. You know, if they have 30 cents, you can then go back and say, Hey, this is our best scent because you're having to broken out in your feed. Um, that was something actually I just started doing, I think about a month ago, but it was, pretty powerful for the brands because they had never seen that before and i was just like wow i didn't even i don't use that reporting feature very much um mm. i don't yeah. know you guys do but i used to never be in there until the last probably year until those high level reports. yeah cool. and, and one of the uh important parts like we have experience with clients sometimes clients um they had a payment error or shopify's goes down and there's now this functionality as data exclusions in the uh, the bid strategies, advanced controls. You had seasonality adjustments, and they yeah. also, since you know half a year, they have that one. This one is is kind of like the biggest enemy is instability for machine learning and AI stuff. So when you are offline for a few hours or a day, always put it in there because this is um, it will help you not you ruin your statistics. Sorry, what are you talking about? So if you go into tools and settings, then yeah. uh, bit strategies, yeah. and then at the left side, you have advanced controls, and then you have uh, seasonality adjustment and data exclusion. Now, up until last year, there was only seasonality adjustment. We've been 
butchering it for whenever a store was offline or uh, the credit card was was expired or whatever and they didn't have a backup or whatever we covered that with like a decrease on conversion rate so that the machine learning knew okay i shouldn't take these days into account as they normally would um like if you have an outage for two days you'd go back and add the data excuse. exactly yeah okay. because otherwise it takes those two days into account and, and sees like hey what, what was going on here uh, your conversion rate was dropping to whatever or you had some clicks you don't want that got it yeah i didn't i have never actually i honestly haven't and we run seasonal but we always are just adjusting manually i guess mm -hmm. not really used um this tremendously but i'll have to I, we, we've been using this because the um the algorithm looks at the last 21 days but it ignores the last seven days so this time window is consistently shifting so whenever in those last seven days it continues to those days that were online or where you had like a butchering of your you did get clicks but you didn't get conversions uh, we want to tell the system like do not take this into account uh because it start your averages start to uh falter and, and change yeah. Yeah. so this is one of the greatest things that we got from Google uh, last year, pretty yeah, much. Hmm. Interesting. And just to, just to add to that, just in the um, the custom label part, actually, that was uh, that was a good point. I think uh, I think that just like what I also like to do is the price range section, where you can really just look at, hey, um, actually, I have a little upsell, like a bundle that is 190, like let's say $99 and the other normal product is 79 and you're hesitant to really push the bundle because it looks like, you know, it's making the product more expensive uh, in the results. But if you add those price labeling, you know, you can actually report on price. If you add them as a custom label, then uh, you can test like specifically or label those specifically. I mean, you can do gift wrapped versus not gift wrapped. You can do uh, obviously sizes of the product, like the body wash. Is are you are you gonna sell them for like a, I don't know uh, uh, the metrics, but like 500 milliliters or a liter um, versus that kind of stuff is is pretty interesting to to exactly the insights. And then then that's one thing uh, because what you're mentioning is it's it's so at, at a certain level insights are actually more valuable than the sales itself. Like the sales are you know that's that's a, that's the maturity level like you know, the highest probably that is necessary because at a certain point, that's not what they care about. The 10, 10 extra sales that it's generating is just saying, hey, wow, there's much more demand for this particular product online. So we might want to put emphasis on it or we want to build, I don't know, campaigns around it. Like it's actually better. Yeah. So that that is definitely, I totally agree. This, this, this is super interesting insight. And if you want to, if you need to move budgets, then that's definitely one of those, you know, one of those levers that you can pull. Like, okay, there's, there's an area that we have been simply underestimating maybe because of our own bias yep. or experience. That makes sense. Um, measurement for most of your brands, are you guys using, and Raul, we'll probably should do a call in the next couple of weeks if you want, just specifically yeah. Google Analytics. Um, I think we both have a lot of wealth and knowledge on that and can probably go into some stuff. What, and yeah. I actually never done one on, on just analytics specifically, I think it would be really, really, really good. What are you guys using using to measure attribution? Do you guys use a third-party platform uh, like Wicked or how, like what is your go-to for most brands on how you're doing your data crunching? And yeah, you were you were you were you were mentioning both of them <laughs> almost. No, um, I mean we've been uh, we've been uh, looking at the high rows as well and Wicked as well. Uh, some clients simply do that. Uh, they 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 are testing themselves. They are. 
um, you know, there's, there's a client saying, hey, uh, we just really rely on uh, customer and survey data. So, you know, where it's like more of a last click, actually like last feeling, like it's more of a gut feeling thing, which is super interesting. Uh, it's terrible to work with because you can't really pinpoint anything, uh, but Hyros and, 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 and Wicked definitely as well do similar things in that sense where we just look at it and we, we test different attribution models. We see, hey, there's actually, this is interesting. And I mean, one specific uh, example was that we were running a very top of funnel keyword and it shows terrible results in, in, in last click, in Google, in, and also in, in position data-driven. You would just put it offline. You would just not use it. And then at a certain point, we decided to run that top of funnel keyword to a much more of a lead generation funnel. And that lead generation funnel was longer than a day or two or three. It takes a week. Uh, and the chances that you're losing that cookie still, I mean, it's still reliant on cookies a lot, uh, even though the new uh, enhanced conversions are, are probably going to catch up a little bit. But then you still have the, you know, there's a gap. And that, that is actually where, where a, a third-party tool that is, you know, doing fingerprinting basically um, is, is coming in. And I think that was super interesting. Like it turned out that this top funnel keyword, when, you know, when the funnel is right, I mean, it would be led to a quiz and the quiz turned into a email funnel and uh, the email funnel, uh, well, it didn't always convert. So we optimized the email funnel first. And then at a certain point you saw that, yeah, like that, that was nothing before. Yep. It actually turned out to be a super profitable campaign uh, after looking at those science-based, uh, uh, more of a position-based uh, attribution models. Um, and, and then again, like if you, and, and we did do the reverse A-B test, like we did just run the normal ads, like the normal uh, landing page again, to kind of cross-test that again. Like, hey, are we just, is this like, is this totally random or is this really just different? And, yeah. and it turned out that, you know, like just landing it on, on, or running it on a landing page for a product directly, it was too cold. It was too much of a cold landing. And yeah, we did get something with the, with, with the third party tools that we were using, but it was significantly lower. So that kind of insight is super valuable. And I think it's already like that, that's worth the investment to just validate it. What I do think is um, something that I'm not sure about is that data ownership is important. Um, and that is not guaranteed with buying a tool. Like if you're just stopping to use it, then you're losing your data unless you're going to do backups all the time. Uh, and it's going to be more difficult to catch back on that. Like it's, so I would always recommend everybody get your ass on Google Analytics and get familiar with the data. And especially, and that's going to be a teaser for next time, just in the GA4. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Actually, we should probably do a call if you're down with that, just on GA4 specifically. Yeah. Sorry, my yeah. you testing. Um, specifically on GA4, just to go into it. Um, I personally like Elevar. We're using Elevar for some of our clients and they set that up and stuff. Yeah. But that's like a whole new world. And I'm still yeah. very I've been in there and I've played around with it, but I don't specifically look at it. Um so yeah, we should definitely, if you're down, we should definitely do a call. Learning curve for us data nerds when we're so used to, to Google Analytics, to older systems, even we get older, Justin. I know. I was, we feel... <laughs> I was thinking about that when you were talking earlier. I'm like, there's like 25 years here of these two gray haired guys. Huh. And I was, I was thinking when we first started the call, look at like Google, if you remember 12 years ago, what Google ads looked like, and huh. now you compare it, 
almost is the same exact freaking thing. Like it hasn't even changed really. And the so mantles don't change. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like crazy. But, yeah. yeah. We'll definitely hop on the call for for GA4. And uh, I think it's uh, it's one of those things that that, that we can we can we can uh, we can catch up. I think we just need a you know a couple of uh, I think it's it, you know we just need a level a couple of topics. I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna sell uh, to, you know say that I'm an expert yet. I, I totally am in that learning curve, and I I do think actually GA four is also in that learning phase still, uh, and it's 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 fluid, but it's it's so much faster, man. It's so much faster, and I like that a lot. <laughs> so it's uh, anything, yeah. do you find anything in GA four that you can't find in the original one that you're like. Oh God, I have to use this to pull this. Uh, well, funnel reporting is set up much more easily. Like it's really easy to just set up specific rules. Uh, you know, like remember, like you have to like to set up the funnel based on your goals and the yep. universal analytics, and that's kind of it. You know, that's it. Uh, but now you can just really make them all dynamic and put segments on it easily. It's that it's and it's again it's faster, especially if you have large data sets. Um, yep. Right now, you can get away with it for free even if you have reached sample sizes in, in, in the universal. Um, and I do think the biggest benefit for bigger brands, especially is that it has integrations like privacy. It's, it's, it's all around privacy, right? Where, where, where it's, it's kind of like getting ready for the Google's era. It's going to be it's totally depending on events. Yeah. And um, it's, it's no longer page based. And then at, the, at that other level, it's also um, injectable with uh, with machine learning, so you can connect with BigQuery for Google. And I'm not the I'm not the data scientist here, but I do know a lot of people who are in the data scientist world that says, "Oh well, we do need that that injection because we we can actually run uh, that data from Google Analytics together with our CRM and then make Damn. beautiful things." So expensive, yeah. like even for we use Supermetrics and. Um, we don't use BigQuery for Supermetrics, but I've played with it. And like our dashboards are just a little, I mean, it takes some of them when we're pulling big stuff, it can take 30 seconds for like doing a create mm -hmm. order or whatever. So I wanted to do yeah. BigQuery because it caches everything and the price yeah. for it for like five clients is like 18. I mean, it's just, it's insane what they want for that thing, man. Yeah. It's crazy. It's not Google cost. That's just the connector. <laughs> the cost on the Google yeah. is cheap, but Supermetrics is just, so yeah, I, uh, so then I play with Databox and just can't get away from Supermetrics just because of the way the dashboards integrate. You just kind of have to give it some time. But that's data ownership, man. That's yeah. part. Like, and that's that's also the reason why they exist. It's it's, it's because that their business model. And I totally get it. Like, there's there's convenience, but in return, you get dependence. Yeah, and that's uh, it's it's okay. I mean, that's it's fine if you can if it's if it's just a marginal piece of the uh, the, the cost puzzle, right? But I, I do get um, I do think like on the on the same in the same time you can in, start investing like getting connectors independently from from those uh, systems. You can uh, hire uh, somebody who's you know who's got API experience and uh, and and one you know basically what you need to do is SQL like a, get, get an SQL developer that yep. knows how to build up databases or connect them. And then obviously, first of all, you have to ask the question, why do I need all that? But if you have to find that, you just hold it against one, two, three guys or girls who are specialized yeah. in that. And they can, they can set up, the, now they actually can set up the connectors without any boundaries, which is much better than, you know, I need to have yeah. uh, an API connection with Supermetrics or that kind of stuff. Yeah. But 
yeah. But it's 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 interesting, uh, especially for us nerds, uh, Justin. I guess that's uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if everybody on Netflix is no. like, okay, what what are we talking about now exactly? But it's uh, <laughs> we're getting carried away. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate it. We ran 20 minutes overall. I'm gonna hit you up. We'll set up a time for some GA stuff. Um, yeah. For that. Cool. Thank you guys for time. Um, appreciate it. Keep the videos coming, Vincent. Love them. They're awesome. Yes, sir. Um. Yeah, if you guys have anything else to add, um, any questions? Um, Go ahead. Well, maybe we can add that rookie. <laughs> um, next, is it's a sponsor in your group, right? The Geek Out thing. Geek Out? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they're a sponsor. Yep. Okay. So I can tell that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody from this group is there next week. Um, Ukraine, uh, I'll be there. So anybody hit me up if you're going to be there. Sweet. Yeah. I wish I could travel. <laughs> So I'm not doing the COVID running. Yeah, well, with kids and stuff, my wife will divorce me if I leave her at home with four kids. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one here that would probably I feel you, bro. Fun. Yeah. School starts this week too. So I don't know about over there, but school starts tomorrow. So yeah. Cool. Someday. Right, someday when I get them out of the house. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh you having us on here. Yeah. And uh take care. You too, man. Talk soon. Yep. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye bye.